In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. We've arrived at the, at the first Sunday of Lent, this time of grace, that the Lord invites us now to embrace with generosity the time of purification and atonement and refocusing on the most uh, essential things in our life purification and union with God, preparation for the kingdom. And as you know, the first Sunday of Lent always provides us with this, with this dramatic scene of the Lord being tempted in the desert. As God, he could not have temptation, but since he had a true human nature, yeah, the human nature could be tempted. Otherwise, it wouldn't really be a true human nature. And that helps us really to identify more with the Lord, that he really did have a human nature like us. One of the little girls at Hawthorne once asked me, well, if Jesus was on the cross, why didn't he just like get off the cross? He was God. He could do that. He had the power to do that. Why didn't he just like walk away? Well, he could do that, you're right, he could do that. But he wanted to suffer like us. He wanted to, he just wanted to embrace all the meaning of the of suffering out of love for us. And here too, he has embraced the meaning of temptation out of love for us. And so we have this powerful scene where he goes into the desert, this absolutely inhospitable place, not a place where you want to go on an excursion or have a nice day. It's dry, there's sand, but mostly mostly clumps of rock and cliff, the occasional shrub, or maybe it pretends to be a shrub, no water, it's hot, and then very freezing cold at night scene of the desert reminds me of the pictures of Mars where the Mars rover would go and show us these pictures and who, who would want to go there right I mean it's a it's a desertic place in the history of art uh, there have been a number of depictions of these temptations uh, one of the most famous ones is Gustave Doré who designed a huge illustrated Bible where he did drawings or, or etchings of every single aspect of the Bible that you could think about so that as you were reading the Bible you would have a large etching and those illustrations that he provided in this massive book became standard illustrations of practically everything in the Bible and in, in this case he represents Jesus on the top of a cliff looking out 
into the horizon and the devil in the typical way you would imagine the devil in this skinny lizard-like looking guy with horns and he's kind of inviting him to throw himself off and the other artist that is more or less contemporary with Gustave Doré is uh, Jacques Tissot who had been in France then went to England and lived a rather a rather dissolute life in the bourgeoisie of uh, of London where he represented you know, high class ladies uh, with beautiful outfits sometimes represented in in these beautiful restaurants and things like that but then he got into an affair and uh, the affair the affair with this high class lady was so devastating for her that she ended up committing suicide and this uh, this really affected him very deeply he had a tremendous conversion he went to the holy land and decided to to dedicate the rest of his life and all his talents to simply painting the bible and all the scenes of the bible he used uh, watercolor and gouache and and he really did some of the most original drawings and paintings you'd ever seen of, of the entire bible always done in very original ways always done using the the clothing of the time and really making it look like like contemporary to the time that it happened now in his case he sets Jesus right above the rich temple and there's all these columns and there's there's Jesus and the devil there too is inviting him to embrace the inner courtyard of the temple as Jesus is practically hovering above it but perhaps the most impressive painting is a Russian painter, Kramskoy from 1872, did a famous oil painting of Jesus just sitting there, alone. And uh, there's no sand, just rock. His hands are clasped together. He went through many versions. First he did a vertical version, then he did a horizontal version. And the colors represent a kind of chill background and there's the horizon and you can see the the dawn shimmering through and it is said that he wanted to represent with the dawn and the sky above the the divine nature and and below the the the, the human nature and one of the collectors who eventually bought it said it is an expression of immense moral force hatred against evil and complete resoluteness to fight it and uh, this has became one of the one of the iconic pieces of Gramskoy as a painter so I want to have that resoluteness to fight evil as well as a resoluteness to embrace God during this time of Lent I want to be resolute during this Lent I don't want this to be just another Lent but I need your help I need your guidance, Lord. Already he had seen the abundance of water in the Jordan when he was baptized. He was already supernaturally identified as the Messiah. And after that you would think that he would start facing the masses of the people and immediately be be recognized and uh, acclaimed but immediately after that after the 
after the baptism, this is my beloved son, the voice from God. We can't find him. He's gone. He goes into the wilderness of Judea and there he spends 40 days in seclusion. The temptations are followed by three basic themes. First temptation concerns the the so-called lust of the flesh. Those who make everything really about their personal well-being, the and 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 the, you know the the fleshly nature of us, the human nature wants pleasure, you know, enjoyment, le, le divertissement, as as uh, Pascal said. And Jesus was indeed hungry, and Satan was trying to tempt him to convert all those stones that he had into bread. You can imagine it was like a mirage. You'd see a stone and look, kind of looks like a loaf of bread. Let's see, let's eat it. You know, like, like a mirage, a guy crawling about the desert. That was the first temptation, the lust of the flesh. And we also have to identify the lust of the flesh, the lust of pleasure, the lust of desire. Just, I want to get what I want. I want to get the meal that I like. I want to get the, the warm shower. I want to I wanna just enjoy these things. The lust of the flesh. Second temptation is concerned with the pride of life. Here Satan challenges Jesus to throw him off a high place. I, I have no problem with this. I can take this. The angels will catch me. I'm good enough. Pride of life. Pride. Where our life kind of centers around ourselves, uh, our success, our recognition. Pride of life. It's all, it's all about me. You know, the, the turning around of my, my recognition. And it's like how good am I? We can start to compare and even if I fall, I'll, I'll be caught by the angels. And we even see all that we do in terms of our recognition. Pride of life. And the third temptation is concerned with the, with the lusts of the eyes. This time, Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, their beauty. And he said, I will give all this to you if you bow down and worship me. This is a, a bit more difficult to identify, but it's, it's how everything comes in from our eyes and makes us dream about possessing these things, a, kind, a form of power over these things that all we have to do is make a decision and, and they become under our auspices under our purview and all those things that that feel like splendor to us and these sets of temptations were not an accident no they they were all the fact that the, the fact that the lord jesus went out into the desert like that was was not an accident it was a plan it was part of your plan lord so that we would realize that we too will be tempted and have been tempted and will continue to be tempted in our life. These three elements which St. John describes in his letter, pride of life, lust of the eyes, or rather, lust of flesh, pride of life, lust of the eyes, are, are going to be part of our life. We're not exempt from that. We're not exempt. We are all tempted 
These are habitual things. They are, I would say that they, were, they are manifested in different ways. They are habitual, they are occasional, and they are rare. And we all have to identify what are my habitual temptations in my life, the things that I'm always struggling with, I get that temptation. It could be pleasure, comfort, seeking. Uh, it could be egotism, wanting to be recognized, my opinion to be recognized. Like that, I always have that. I always have that. Or it could be just something that is occasionally, occasionally. That I get some things that are always, but other things that occasionally I fall into that. And occasionally I fall into going 140 on the 41, but the, you know, occasionally I just want to use the car and just you know, pedal to the metal and I want to, well, okay, normally can't do that, there's too much traffic, but uh, it's uh, occasional. But then there's the very rare occasion in which I fall into some sort of lust of the eyes. And uh, some of these things can simply stay in our mind or they can lead us to to rather harmful forms of uh, criticism or in our mind we're criticizing and they can certainly temptations lead us from our path but as in this passage the devil lies in wait and let us not shrug him off he wants us to be had to be he wants us to be sad he wants us to be unhappy he wants us to be frustrated. Or simply, perhaps he's just happy to allow us to be simply shallow in our prayer. To habitually go to the prayer and fall asleep. To habitually go to the prayer and come out without any real resolution, without any real invocation of the Lord. To go through the motions and lack that real intimacy. We may not even see this as a temptation, but it can be a temptation. Oh, I have to do my prayer and all. Okay, I'm going to go do it. Yeah, but then there's no intimacy. Or with our norms. Maybe as we, as we read the, uh, our, do our spiritual reading and we start reading and, and uh, well, I know this, I know that. Oh, I've heard, oh, that's something new. Oh, that's interesting. And, and we don't really seek it as a moment of intimacy or certainly with the gospel what is clear is that the devil does not want us to mature in our vocation and that's why as the older we get the more the temptations begin to change they take on new forms some that were occasional now become habitual or some that were rare could something somehow come occasional. They might move themselves up. Do I even know my different temptations that I face? Doubts may arise. They may just be very rare, but then they can make themselves more frequent. Remember that some days just before he goes to the desert, the Lord was baptized by John, and, and Jesus heard that voice, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Beautiful words. 
that are like like honey over you know, they, 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 they fill us with sweetness you are my beloved son you are my beloved daughter and it can happen I suppose that we could say well is this really true maybe that was what the devil was trying to elicit is this really true you are my beloved son we may remember that the Lord said this to us too I'm well pleased with you I want you to be happy serving the God in the work serving souls I want you to be happy doing that So the devil is pretty smart, so he draws attention to this, to this urgent physical need we have for food. And he's trying to find out whether we really believe that we, he is the Son of God. And in this case, the Lord is tempted to use his divine power to resolve his need for food. It's really an insidious provocation and certainly one uh, that is relevant in today's world. So, so many people are going hungry and so many social emergencies are crying out for a solution. We might think, shouldn't the church or even God himself be more concerned about those urgent needs, the supply chain, the, you know, the feeding people who are hungry, re- resolving these material problems, and, and leave the rest for later? Why do, we have to, why do we have to be united to God so much? Let's, let's fix this problem. Let's fix this problem, getting my, getting my supper warm. Well, Jesus shows us the best path for solving these needs only an upright and good heart nourished by God's word can give rise to ultimately to the best creative and effective solutions that we see that are needed around us. And then this this offer of the devil for the world's power, for the world's glory, if if he will adore the devil. And so the devil tries to stir up this dominion, this sense of desire for dominion, so as to pervert his spiritual mission. The Lord has a spiritual mission. That's, that's why he came. And it's again, it's an insidious temptation to make use of temporal power to establish the kingdom of God on earth. A temptation that no doubt the church has faced throughout the centuries like it's because I have temporal power because I have temporal well-being that that I establish the kingdom of God and it happens in some countries that people even kind of use religion they go into religious life or they use religion in some way because they think by doing that God will bless them God will grant them some form of success even some kind of temporal power. It's still an important one for us. What means should be really used to make messianic hopes a reality? What does Christianity ultimately offer 
to the world to solve all its problems. But we know that in reality, it's simple, and it's never a political or social regime that solves problems. What we offer the world is the knowledge of the true God. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only, Him alone shall you serve. Him alone. That's what the, the Lord responds to the devil. Kingdoms built by human ambitions inevitably crumble soon enough. So we, we can ask, well, how, what have I actually offered to others? What do we indeed offer to the church? Maybe, maybe it, it could be that our temptation has been that we're kind of somewhat tired of repeating this message and we, we don't know if it's really working the, the true message of the kingdom of God, the true message of sanctification, of holiness, we, it, it might ring a little bit uh, shallow for us. And the way we live our vocation. I've been reading a, a new book that just came out recently by a priest of the work. His name is Jaime Sanz Santa Cruz. And... Uh, well, I got it on Amazon Kindle, so I didn't have to order the actual book, but uh, you can still read it for six ninety nine. It's a good price, and uh, and you get it instantaneously. So, and so this priest was with me in the Roman College, and uh, he was in they call it Grupo Tres. <laughs> Grupo Tres. I was in Grupo Uno. He was in Grupo Tres. So, like, he's up here, I'm down here. It all goes by age, right? Just age. So the young guys, Grupo Uno. Middle guys, Grupo Dos. Older guys, Grupo Tres. And then there's Grupo Cuatro. Those guys, like, old guys, you know. They're well over 40. And, uh, you know, to me at that time, 40 was, like, ancient. But um, but he, he wrote this book. It's called Reillusionate. Reillusionate, a difficult word to pronounce sometimes, but but um, he talks about our response to the call. He talks about it as having made these interviews with different people in religious life, consecrated life, priests, and other institutions, he says. Um, but it's clear that it's directed to members of the work, I think. And uh, he talks about the itinerary of those who have been called by God and he says that uh, we find a great majority of uh, these faithful men and women who want to be more faithful every day and are deeply proud of their vocation that, that they have received. And they're always looking to improve and how to become closer to God. And they're never really satisfied with simply persevering in their response, but really they seek to be more faithful every day. So not just sitting there and persevering, but I want to be more faithful. He says, but with the passage of time, passage of dedication, and growing maturity, he, sa he describes like three types of responses to the vocation. I suppose similar to the three temptations, but he says, first there are those who want to be more faithful every day, more genuine to their response, and they want to identify themselves more with the call that God has given them. 
The second group he describes as those who are at a point in their life where they they just make a radical turn in their existence and they actually abandon their vocation. Although at a time later they do regret it and they somehow want to restart what they've left behind. Those are the people who take a radical turn. And then the third group are those who follow, they stay, but they start losing hope, they they cease having apostolic initiatives or vigor, and they basically stay on autopilot. And uh, people who have seen their expectations disappointed regarding what they should have done, they don't really see themselves as being up to the task. And uh, they sort of hover. And, and so he goes on to describe each one of these, uh, these states. And well, we want to be in the first one, uh, where he describes the, those who want to be faithful every day, more they want to follow their path, they are, they are in love, they are happy, they lead a full life, full of souls, they have projects, they have enthusiasm for the, for the work of God. Illusion, as he says. And he said, um, it could be said, he says, that the, the weight of the institution to which they belong or the family they have formed falls on them and they do everything they can to serve the Lord in his work. So they feel the weight of souls. Right? And uh, they hear the words of the Master who says in the Gospel, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things, but I will put you in charge of many. Come and share the Master's happiness. That's what they hear. And they're happy. And they, they hope to be more happy every day. Every day, despite the struggle, they get up with enthusiasm and they think, oh, I have an appointment with a friend, I have some formation to give, I'm, I'm going to uh, do whatever the Lord has prepared for me. They wake up in love, and they go to bed grateful. That's a f- beautiful phrase. Did you wake up today in love? And, well, we don't know if you're going to go to bed grateful, but that's what we have, we have to go to bed grateful. Maybe grateful, finally I can sleep, you know. Finally, you know. And then the next stage, they were in love and happy, but suddenly they took a radical turn in their life. And uh, now we are not the ones to judge them. We cannot judge them. But the reasons can be very buried. They have the attractions of another path of life that suddenly appears. They want to, don't want to follow the gift of themselves because it seems to require too much effort. It's too demanding for them. They get practically burnt out. Maybe there's been some kind of uh, family upheaval or they, they get an affective attachment, perhaps, of some kind. This leads them to make mistakes, missteps, and they have a kind of a wound in their soul which they don't seem to be able to heal. And uh, any decisions... In, are the fruit of, of man's freedom and really an essential element to give a response of love. But we are not the ones to judge them. There's also those who, in the third group, who've been losing hope and now 
go through life through that tedious monotony. They're kind of stuck in their own world. And somewhere along the line, they're not, they're not happy. And this is not something we can say emphatically as a total truth, but you know it has to be clarified. They're not as happy as they could be. They're not as happy as they should be. And so they cling to substitutes to happiness. And they fill themselves with those substitutes. And those substitutes are not from God. It's like when you arrive at a restaurant and instead of finding a well-prepared, well-presented meal, a well-seasoned dish with hors d'oeuvres, you just settle for the leftovers. You arrive, everybody's eating, there's just you know, a bit of stuff left over there. It's something to fill your stomach with, that's it. But it's not an enjoyable meal and, you know, on a feast day, it's just whatever's left. Late supper. <laughs> and so, well, he addresses those people and, and that they can re-illusionate, as he says. He can return to that, to that joy of serving the Master. Reject the temptation to just fill yourself with the late, uh, the late uh, things that are left over. And uh, so we ask our blessed Lord now, as he, as we visualize him tempted, to give us that strength to be happy all over again, to wake up with gratitude and to go to bed with gratitude for what the Lord has given us. We ask this, of course, of our Blessed Mother as well, that she always intercede for us and not trace St. Joseph, for whose feast day is coming up in a few weeks. He'll intercede for us so that we be part of that first group that are always happy with the gift of vocation that he has given us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.